what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Did we just become best friends? Yep. What's going on, everybody? This is Getting Bullied back for the first time since, I guess it would be about March. Uh, I think we talked, uh, the last time we talked was probably right before the season shut down, if I believe, or right after, somewhere around there. But we're back. It's Mark Ginone, it's Dan Silver, hardest working man in Flyers Twitter. Dan, what's going on down at the uh, nation's capital? Not too much, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. We haven't done this in a while. People like to say backed by popular demand, but this is truly backed by popular demand because we got some people on Twitter saying, hey, when are you guys going to do another getting bullied? So we're like, you know what? Let's get the, uh, let's get the, the gang back together and uh, record an episode. We got so much to talk about with the season just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the layout of sports in general right now, and really, it's I guess it's really just the winter sports, basketball and hockey. It seems like, you know, they ended like last week. And really, it was only a couple months ago that both leagues, you know, ended their seasons in the playoffs. And here we are again. NBA is already back on their way. And the Flyers and the NHL, they start on January 13th. So it's, you know, there's not a lot of time here for, for them to kind of get, you know, everything together. And we'll get into all that, but I know, you know, Christmas just came and ended, and I know that you said you wanted to recommend to the people out there, kind of, the, I guess, is it the best Christmas gift you ever got, or very close? No, definitely not the, the best Christmas gift, but, you know, it was a different Christmas. You know, I normally would come up to Philly to spend some time with the parents, and due to COVID, I wasn't able to, but I got some uh, from... Um, from my partner, I got some presents. And uh, one of the ones that she got me in particular, I'm really enjoying so far and kind of wanted to, uh, to to recommend it. And it's, it's I, you heard of a bidet? It's, you know, they're prevalent in Asia and Europe, a thing that basically cleans your butt after you, you know, go number two. So I've been, one of my trips to Japan, I was staying in some nice hotel and had one of these. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Now, they make this one called the Tushy, the Tushy, <laughs> T-U-S-H-Y. And it's yeah. like $70, $80. And Danielle got it for me. I cooked it up to the, the toilet yesterday or two days ago, no problem. I'm telling you, these things are life-changing. Like you just sit there, you do your business, then you turn the lever and it just cleans the whole area. It's like, not only can you totally save on toilet paper, which is great in this COVID era where you right. never know if there's going to be toilet paper. But it's just a, I don't know, it's a, it's like a, it's a, you know, it's just, it's, it's great walking around knowing, hey, I'm, I'm clean down there. You know what I mean? So I, is it like, is there like a tank that is attached to it or do you have to like hard pipe it into? So you, line? So, so you just, so all you do is you disconnect the water line from the toilet and then there's basically like, you know, it's like a switch. Like if you have TV and internet, you've got one cord that comes in from the outside and then you split it so that you can split it one to the tv and one to the internet it's the same thing the water comes in now you just use a little splitter that comes with the tushy one of them goes to the toilet one of them goes to the bidet and uh it's very easy to install i'm an idiot when it comes to stuff around the house i did it in 15 minutes very simple 
Um, so you're just basically splitting the water supply that comes in. One goes to the toilet as normal. One goes to the bidet. And then there's this, I mean, there's a lever that says like, how intense do you want it? And I've only gone up to about 10% and it's, and you didn't have to work your way up, but it's, this is uh it's, 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 it's almost like a life-changing type of thing. I gotta say. This is, this is not where I expected you to go with this. When you said you wanted to recommend yeah. something to people, this is, I was, th- I mean, I was thinking something around the house, but I was not expecting something to clean your bottom after, uh, is, after using the toilet. Is this something you would potentially consider? Probably not. Um, I gotta okay. say, the, the the idea of something spraying me down there in like a stream type deal doesn't seem like a sensation that I would get on board with. I am a, uh, I'm more of a, a flushable wipe person. Okay, like okay. Does, you know that does a good clean, like a wet know. flushable wipe. Right. Yeah, because you know you got. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That's that. That makes sense. I like because I feel I like, like one thing that a lot of women don't realize is that it's harder for guys to clean that area just because you know. You got hair down there, and it's it's a little it's a little messier. So yeah, it's you gross. know, uh, toilet paper doesn't really do it, and you end up wasting a lot of toilet paper. So I could the flushable wipe I could get by, but the, I'm telling you, the bidet it's it's a I can see why Asia and Europe have really you know adopted this all over. Yeah, you definitely need some sort of moisture down there to you know clean everything up. You feel fresher. You don't feel like a gross you know, schlub walking around. I, I get it. I get, I get the idea. Um, I just don't, li- I, I don't know if I would like getting sprayed, getting sprayed down there, but you know, if it works for you, it works for you. That's great. Yeah. I, my, and it's not, it's not really a life changing gift, but my parents got me a cast iron skillet for Christmas. Oh, I love those. Yeah. You know, I, when I was living at home, uh, it's been a couple of years now, but when I was living at home, my mom had one and I would use it here and there. And I've used it. I mean, Christmas was only Friday, but I've used it every day since then. And I've done extensive, like stupid amounts of research on how to take care of this thing and, you know, what to do when you're done with it. Because there's a myth out there that you're not supposed to clean it at all. That's bullshit. You are supposed to clean it every time. There's just a special way to do it. So I'm all I'm all up in the uh in the cast iron skillet now i'll cook everything on it forever it came with a little press for when you're making burgers and stuff thing is great so if nothing else if you don't want a clean bottom and you just want a good meal every day buy a cast iron skillet and do all the research on how to take care of it i can't believe you mentioned that because that's also was on my christmas list i've had a i've had a a a grill pan cast iron uh for a while and listen to this. So we get, I get a big package from Amazon delivered to our house, but to someone, to our address, but to someone else's name. And I'm like, what is this? So I reach out to the guy who used to own our house. And he says, yeah, that's someone who used to rent from me. She's been, she's been gone eight years. I keep telling her to change her address, you know, for her family. They keep sending her stuff to the house. And he's like, but I don't know what her new address is. So I call Amazon and I'm like, Hey, I explain it to them. I'm like, hey, should I just return this? And they're like, no, happy Christmas. You just keep it. Like they'll realize that there's a mistake and we'll just send them another one, whatever it is. So Hmm. I'm like, okay, I get to keep this, whatever it is. And it's heavy. I'm thinking, what is this? Is it like a, I I had no idea what it was. Um, I open it and it's literally one of the cast iron grill pans that I had on my Christmas list. And it's once it's, it goes over, I've got a big center burner on my gas grill. And this thing is long. 
So it goes over the big center burner. It's got a grill pan and a flat, a grill side and a flat side. And yes, the cast iron, it, they're, they're incredible for making steak. Um, you know, the way that I don't know if you've been making steak on, but my favorite thing to do is you turn up the oven to about 500 degrees. You put the cast iron skillet in there for about an hour, just so the whole skillet is just piping hot. Mm-hmm. Then, you, and you've got the steak marinating um, or just salt and pepper room temperature. And then you take the skillet out of the, of the skillet's now, you know, 500 degrees because it's been in the oven for an hour. Then you put it on top of the stove, the gas stove, you turn the gas on, let it soak up the gas for about five minutes. Then you put the steak on and it just is, the sizzle is insane. You're probably gonna have to open windows so that you don't, um, you know, set the, the fire alarm off. I like to use grapeseed oil because it's got a high, uh, high burn point. Right. And then basically, um, yeah, you do the about a minute and a half on each side for the steak. Then you put the whole cast iron pan in the oven at 500 for about three minutes. And you've got a perfectly cooked medium rare steak. So Son of a bitch. that's I don't know if that's that's what you've been doing. But but put that cast iron in the oven for about an hour at a highly at a very high temperature so the whole thing is just piping hot and then that's kind of like what I like to do. So but. I can't tell you how perfect I, I swear to god to the people listening this is we will talk about the flyers but this was not discussed prior. I mean bullshitting about Christmas was but so it just so happens that in getting this cast iron skillet and now you teaching me the best way I've ever heard to cook a steak that it just so happens that my company every year the company I work for every year gives every employee a tray of steaks. And this year it was, we got four filet mignons and eight New York strips. The filets are gone. We ate them on Christmas. But now I have 12 or whatever I said, eight New York strips in the freezer. And now one's coming out to thaw because that's that's dinner tonight. Now that you told me so to do all that, New York strips are the best ones to make on the cast iron. Is, so that's perfect. So 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 do what I said. Put it in the oven, five hundred degrees, just the skillet for an hour. Then take the skillet out and let it soak up the heat. And then steak each side a minute and a half, and then put it back in the oven for three minutes, and you're perfect. I like to when I put it back in the oven, I like to put some butter on top of the steak, oh, of and it'll just yeah. So yeah. You're you're, this is you're great. one hell of this a is... connoisseur. You're you're changing lives today. <laughs> Clean butts, perfect steaks. Uh, there you go. <laughs> all right. So now the moment we've all been waiting for. Ten minutes of Christmas, and now the rest of the way, it'll maybe be about the Flyers. Who knows? All right. So here we we're, we're like just about two weeks away from this whole thing kicking off, and we were talking before, and you were saying, you know, just kind of looking at the schedule you're playing everybody from your division so basically what the nhl did is they broke it down into four divisions i believe um correct and so the flyers are playing basically every team that you grew to hate over the years and it looks like you know it's a lot of it's a lot of back-to-backs playing the same teams and things like that. So they're definitely trying to cut down travel and everything like that with COVID. So on the 13th, when everything's, when the whole season starts, the Flyers get the Penguins back-to-back the 13th and then two days later, the 15th. And so you were saying before that we, that we started recording here that you you find this, I mean, obviously the schedule's 
toughest. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers are in the toughest division anyway, and it seems like this year not getting you know the relief of playing some of the lesser teams in other divisions. It's definitely a lot harder than it's been before. The Flyers are a lot better than they were before, so I think they're a little more equipped to deal with this. And I think once you know you're playing the same team so many times that you'll learn tendencies and things like that. And, and some games may be a little easier to manage than others, but you were saying the whole thing kind of looks a little bit boring to you. And I'm on the other side. I'm excited for this because it's just every, every game is division rival after division rival. It could get a little stale after a while, but I think the later, the, the later this thing goes, the deeper in the season we get, the more the games start to mean in a 56 game season, these games are going to be ridiculous ridiculous to watch in a couple months yeah you know so it's what is it's like a what is it like a 56 game schedule or 53 game schedule and the the flyers the division is the penguins the bruins the caps the islanders the sabers the rangers um the devils Devils. i think i mentioned that i think i think i mentioned all the teams there but it's like I don't know, whenever I'm looking at the Flyers schedule and I'm like, oh, they play the Devils or, oh, they, they play the Islanders or, oh, they, you know, they play the Rangers. There's, I, I don't necessarily look forward to those games. Like, I like when they play, you know, teams from the West that you don't get to see that often. And I just, a lot of these games are, I find games against the Islanders boring in the regular season. And a lot of times against the Devils, the game seems boring and same as the Rangers. So I just, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not, when I look at this schedule, I'm like, oh man, I, I don't know. Okay. Now we've got three straight games against, you know, the devils. So you're like all the, all the games are pretty much back to back. You start with back to backs against the penguins. You know, I like, I like watching the penguins. It's fine. The Sabres, then back to back against the Bruins. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, listen, this whole thing is, is weird. I mean, last year with the bubble was strange and, you know, the Flyers played very well, but then the playoff, like the playoff series against the Islanders, they won seven games. Um, they didn't play all that great against them. And it was just, I don't know, I just having grown up to watch these teams over and over again, I like the relief when there's relief in the schedule where, hey, we're playing San Jose. Hey, we're playing Vancouver. That's going to be kind of fun. Um, so it's uh, it, it's going to be compressed. It's going to be against the same teams. And it's with the shorter schedule, I'll say this. I mean, you're probably going to have a playoff feel to a lot of these games. Unlike, you know, when you have November and December and January games in the NHL, a lot of them don't have the physicality that playoff games do. With a, a, a schedule that's going to be two-thirds of the normal length, and this division is murderer's row. So – the Flyers have to know that if you get off to a bad start in this division, you're going to be in trouble because coming down the stretch, you're going to be playing the Islanders, the Penguins, the Capitals, you know, almost every day it's going to seem like. So it, it, it the start is going to be even more important in a shortened schedule against really good teams. Yeah, I mean, we're complain- we complain kind of every year that the schedule makers don't really do the Flyers any favors because – you know, we're always starting out on the West Coast and you get those, you know, you're always starting the the West Coast road trip. You have Anaheim, San Jose, Colorado, you know, Vegas, whoever's out there. And it's kind of it's not really entirely the same thing this year, because when you look, I mean, it's it's you're, you're just playing who's in your division. So every team in the division is going to have the same trials and tribulations that the Flyers will. And 
we've seen the Flyers in the past come out not so great to start the season. Even last year under Vino, it you know they weren't, and, and you you kind of give it to the fact that it was a team learning a new system under a new head coach. You know, the goalie was starting the season for the first time as the guy. There was a lot of they started. Where were they at last year? Prague. They started the season. There was a lot of bullshit thrown the Flyers' way last year that they had to overcome, and a lot of fans were not so thrilled with the offseason the Flyers had because, you know, it's virtually the same team coming back this year than it was last year. And on one hand, you're saying, well, the team wasn't good enough to get it done last year. They couldn't get out of the second round. Why would you think they could this year? Well, another year with the same guys under the same coach. This team knows each other. This team is used to the adversity that they're going to be going up against this season. So I think the fact that, you know, bringing in pretty much the same team, a few tweaks here and there, obviously Niskanen retires, Gustafson's in now, big question marks on the blue line, big question marks on the third line center. Again, feels like every year we're doing the same thing. But I think the, I think the way the Flyers kind of came together last year, the way and they didn't really, you know, they didn't play their best games in the playoffs for whatever reason. You know, the power play was abysmal, and hopefully that gets worked out. But I think bringing back the same team with this same coaching staff is just going to benefit the Flyers. And learning, you know, knowing who you're playing every game and having a familiarity with them, I think that's going to help the Flyers in the long run. It seems like there's like a wide divergence of opinions about how good this Flyers team actually is right because you look at last season and for the second half of the regular season they were arguably the best team in the nhl or at least they were in the top three teams in the nhl when it when it came down to it um and then in the playoffs this team rolled through the round robin in the playoffs they got the number one seed then they go on and they they beat the canadians in the first round and the canadians were playing very well i mean the canadians beat the penguins um, in the prelim round. And yeah, maybe the Flyers didn't look great in that series and Carter Hart kind of saved them, but they won the series. Then they're against the Islanders in the round of eight and they go seven games. And yes, the Flyers were outplayed in that series. They didn't look great. But the reality is, is that they came within one game of being in the final four teams in the NHL, which I think is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that like look at those playoff series and are like, that was the real flyers. Like they didn't play great and they've got all these question marks. And, you know, I, I think they're a borderline playoff team. And then there's the other people that are like, this team was one of the best teams in the league for the second half of the season. And, you know, they've got good young players who could take a leap. Um, and they're going to be one of the top two teams in the division this year and have a chance to win the Stanley cup. And that's, that's kind of where I am. Um, you know, and I look at it and and I still think this team has so many good young players that are going to take the leap. Like I, I think that Joel Farabee is going to take a huge leap this coming season. And kind of like the leap we saw Travis Konechny take, um, also Oscar Lindblom take, where they just proved that, you know, the first half of the year, Konechny and Lindblom were the two best players on the Flyers. Uh, also, you're getting Lindblom back. Obviously, he had to come back from the cancer and he played in the playoffs, but he wasn't full strength. Now, uh, Chuck Fletcher said he's completely remade his body. He looks fantastic. And I think that you're going to get Lindblom's going to be like an addition from the playoff team. I think Faraby's going to be a lot better. Konechny didn't score a goal in the playoffs. I think he's obviously going to, uh, 
you know, keep improving. He's a young guy. And then, you know, I, I think the defensemen, you've got Sanheim, Myers, and Provorov, who are all still getting better. And so, yes, there are some older guys that may keep taking steps back. A Giroux, you know, a Voracek, um, you know, Couturier, some of the injuries are bothersome. But t- to me, I see a team with a lot more upside than than some people seem to think. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, when you when you're watching the Flyers last year, especially in the playoffs, I mean, this, the playoffs are the perfect example of kind of what you saw last year because the Flyers. I mean, the first half of the season, the Flyers were just kind of there. I mean, they were playing well. They were playing. They were playing teams tough. They were never really out of too many games. But then in the second half, you saw them come on as one of the better teams in the league, not even just the Eastern Conference or or their division. And I think in the playoffs, and as much as I love Elaine Vigneault, as much as you can't say enough good things about the things that he did to make that team what they were last year, I think in the playoffs, he kind of was a bit of a hindrance on the team. I mean, we saw a lot of questionable calls by him. Um, there was, I, I think, what was it, three or four challenges he made on, you know, questionable offsides and things like that that ended up, uh, you know, not going their way. And then it was it was really against the Islanders where he was doing it. And then it ended up as a power play goal the other way for New York. And it was just, I mean, there was head-scratching decisions like that where you know your special teams isn't playing all that well. And you know that New York's is, so why are you doing that? And, I mean, there's only so much the coaching can do as far as the power play. But, you know, there weren't that many adjustments to get that thing going. So I think the coaching, you know, not even just Vino, but... You know, the coaching staff as a whole was somewhat of a hindrance on this team last year. And I think, you know, say what you want about it, but I think the bubble kind of weighs on players. I mean, these are, you know, we like to think of there's people out there that like to think of, you know, professional athletes as they're supposed to be robots and not care about, you know, the outside bullshit of life. But, you know, when you think about it, these are young guys with young families and they're taken away from them for months on end. So I think that starts to weigh on you after a while. It's a lot a mentally tough thing you have to go through. So when I look at going into this year, another year under this head coach, you know, the playoff experience that they so desperately needed and not just a one round in and out exit and, you know, somewhat a run that they had success. They took the Islanders to seven games who were a good team. You know, I think that, I think that they're set up well. And I think that they're set up in the conversation of a team, you know, a top, five, six, somewhere in their team in the in the league and a team that's a definite, I don't want to say favorite, but definitely in the conversation for the Stanley Cup this year because they are a young team, because this is a short season. And all the names that you mentioned taking the next step, and we're not, we you know, we briefly touched on Voracek and Giroux and guys like that. It's an interesting time in the Flyers right now that we're seeing a changing of the guard and the core isn't so much Giroux, Voracek, you know, Van Riemsdyk, guys that we've been talking about for years. You know, we're seeing the new changing of the guard. We're talking about Faraby. We're talking about Konechny and Lindblom as the guys that have to take this team to the next level. And I see no reason why they can't because they've done it. You know, they've progressed well every year. Maybe not so much in the playoffs, but every regular season, those guys have gotten better. There's no reason to believe that they're not going to right now. Yeah, I mean, probably the most important guy on this team 
at least from a forward perspective, continues to be Sean Couturier, I would say. Mm-hmm. And one concern I do have about him is the knees. I mean, he's had multiple MCL sprains slash tears over the last three years. And I don't, he's not a guy whose game relies on speed. Um, but I think he's going to be a, a guy that's going to really have to stay in the lineup. Uh, and the big question marks you kind of mentioned in your opener, and those are those are going to be things that that are going to dictate how this team does, is the third line center spot. And with Niskan retired, who's going to be that top pairing defenseman with Ivan Provorov? So from the defenseman standpoint, you know, a lot of people were hoping that this team was going to trade Shane Gossespierre in the offseason and go after a big name defenseman, but there just wasn't there wasn't much out there for them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And we saw they ended up signing Eric Gustafson to a one-year deal, uh, $3 million. And he's, you know, he, he, he's more of an offensive than defensive defenseman. So he's more of like a Shane Gossespierre type. It's different. He's, he's a better passer than, than ghost, but he doesn't have as good a shot. Um, But he doesn't really, to me, when I look at the Flyers defense, it still looks like a puzzle where the pieces are circle and they're trying to fit it in with, with square pieces. Um, I, I'm not sure how everything's going to fit together. Me and you are huge Phil Myers fans. I, to me, he's the logical guy to play on that top pairing with Ivan Provorov. He's played huge minutes before in the AHL. I think he played like 65 minutes in a big overtime game that the, phantoms had or was 45 minutes or something i don't know but he i'm confident that myers as a right-handed defenseman can take that spot next to ivan Provorov, and then you've got travis sandheim as the left-handed defenseman on the second pair but then when you start talking about okay who's going to play with sandheim then it starts getting a little murky is it going to be shane gostaspair is it going to be eric gustafson is it going to be someone different I, i i don't know um, the Flyers have two really good young defense prospects in Cam York and Igor Zamula, but they're both probably a year away from being legitimate NHL contributors. So that question mark is once you get past Provorov, Myers, and Sandheim, how are the rest of the Flyers defensemen going to line up is, is going to be a tricky one for them to answer. And, the, you know, I'd love to see Shane Gossesbeer come back full steam ahead and have a big rebound season. And I, unlike most people, I still think that it's possible for him to do it, but there are a lot of question marks. So, you know, that's the the big first question mark. And then obviously third line center is, is the other one. Um, Couturier and Hayes are two really good centers, but then you basically need one of two things to happen. You need Nolan Patrick to come back and be a consistent, healthy contributor for the season, or you need Morgan Frost to, to take that next step and prove that he can be a consistent third line NHL center type of contributor. I think the chances are very high that by midway through the season, either Frost or Patrick is doing really well as a third line center, but it is a question mark. So those are the two, those are the two big question marks. And I, what are your thoughts on, on those two question marks? Well, as far as center goes and the whole thing with Patrick it, the whole or you know what the whole migraine thing scares the hell out of me cuz migraines and we've said this before on this show and I'm sure people have been saying it for you know over a year now migraines are not something that are just predictable you don't know when they're going to come up there's so many there's 
like an infinite amount of ways to deal with them and treatments for it. And, you know, all indications seem to be that he's doing well. You know, you're seeing videos of him, you know, scrimmaging on the ice and things like that in the off season. Um, that's obviously as a second overall pick, former second overall overall pick, that's the logical option that you would want to plug in there. But, and it's probably, I mean, to start the season, that's probably where we'll go. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if this this migraine thing is just something that's not going to go away. It's something that's going to keep popping up. And, you know, it's it's an unstable situation in, in an unstable time, you know, for the Flyers. You know, you didn't get a full offseason. So you're not going to get a full training camp for for them to have brought in somebody and try to acclimate them into this system. You know, as of, you know, two weeks ago, they didn't even know when the season was going to start. So everything was just up in the air from a season perspective and off season perspective. So you're kind of going in it with just, you know, I think it's just going to be plug and play as things go. They're just going to have to feel it out. And Lane Vina was done pretty good at that in the past. But in the same token, you mentioned Morgan Frost. I've read today that the AHL isn't planning on starting till February 5th. So now you're looking at a, another top prospect who, if you're not, if he's not going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, a regular contributor to the NHL team, he's just, you know, he's going to get practice time and stuff like that, but he's not going to get real game action until about a month after the NHL season starts. So, I mean, it seems to me, and because you drafted him second overall, Nolan Patrick, if he's healthy, if he's good to go, you have to throw him out there and just, you know, hope and pray that you have this migraine thing under control because he's probably their best option right now. Even though in my eyes, when he was playing and he was healthy, I didn't see a whole ton from him that gave me, you know, overwhelming amounts of, you know, optimism for him. I think he's got a lot to work on in his game. I think he's more of a project right now than anything else, but he, you know, he is what he is and the flyers have to kind of roll with him. And as far as defenseman goes, I mean, it's it seems for years we've been talking about now that the Flyers just have a lot of options, and it's kind of like what you said, you know, the square peg or the round peg in the square hole. That's that definitely feels like what they're doing here. They just have a lot of options. They have a lot of bodies, and it's going to be up to the coaching staff to see, you know. And it's not just going to be plug it in day one. This is what's going to work, and we're rolling with this. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in and out. I would be shocked beyond belief if. Phil Myers wasn't on the top uh, pairing with Provorov. That just makes the most sense, obviously. But after that, you know, it's just going to be these next two weeks in practice and things like that. You know, whatever we hear from beat writers are allowed there or not allowed there. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to say a lot. Would love, you know, the whole gossip spare story is one of the craziest that we've seen in a while. A guy that came on as a rookie was lighting the world on fire and just absolutely hit a wall. So I don't know. There's a lot, you know, luckily we don't have to have the answers. We don't get paid to have the answers. We just, you know, talk and bitch about it. But I, I, I trust Elaine Vino. I trust his coaching staff to, you know, maybe not get it right at the start because we saw that last year that made questionable decisions. And, you know, he's not him, Chuck Fletcher. They're not afraid to make the moves that need to be made to make this team better. So it's going to be a feeling out process. The only problem is, it's only a 56 game season. So your feeling out process is going to be like a week or two before things really have to start meshing. 
So Nolan Patrick, let me talk about him for a little bit because I've talked a lot about him on Twitter and I've got a lot of opinions on him. And, you know, for me, his talent is not a question mark. Just based on what I saw from him as a 17-year-old in the WHL, I mean, he played 93 games, I think, um, as his 17-year-old season. And he led his team to the WHL championship. Him and Ivan Provorov were both on that team, and they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, he, He displayed enough talent there and also in his time in the NHL that I think that if he's healthy, I think he would be a very good NHL third line center. And I think that he could also be a a good second line NHL center eventually. Um, For me, the question marks are all about the health because you talk about the migraines and even at the, even at the end of last season, Chuck Fletcher said that it's possible that the migraines could be connected to the concussions. Um, You know, he not even going back to last season, but going back to the season before that, he missed the last three games of the regular season due to a regular or due to an upper body injury. And I'm almost positive, and I've heard this from some folks within the organization, that that was correlated to the puck that he took in the face um, about a month before then. He was having some issues, and the Flyers knew that he was having concussion issues going into the offseason, and that's why they signed Kevin Hayes. Um, And then he missed all of last season with the migraine disorder, which may or may not be connected to the concussions. And so I just – I have a ton of question marks about whether or not Nolan Patrick is going to be ready to play a complete NHL season. Um, I, what happens, he might come back and look great. I think he's probably healthy right now. So let's say he's great in camp. He comes back, uh, he gets that third line center spot. What happens when he takes a high hit and he gets another concussion? Like that's, that's my, those are my question marks. Like how long will he be out? Maybe he'll be able to come back and, and have a long and healthy NHL career. And that's what I truly hope. But, you know, I, I just have question marks about if that's going to happen, which is then why it's fortunate that the Flyers also have Morgan Frost. Because to me, in his NHL trial last year, he was very good. And he put up points. Um, I, a lot of people are questioning him. I think the Flyers, I think the Flyers brass have some question marks about him too. Like his level of physicality, if he's ready for a full NHL season. Um, so I think there's some question marks that he has to answer, but I have a lot of confidence in him. And I just, my feeling is between one of those two guys, someone will grab that third line center spot. And even if it's not at the beginning of the season, you've got some other options. You could put Giroux at third line center. You could put Lawton at third line center. But I think that eventually either Patrick or Frost will be ready for that. One of the things the NHL is doing this season that I think is going to help is, uh, it's called the taxi squad. So that even if a guy doesn't make your NHL roster, you can have a taxi squad with between four to six players. And it's basically guys who, you know, you want to have ready in case someone gets COVID on your team and can't play or, or something like that. So um, you could put a guy like Morgan Frost on the taxi squad. If he doesn't make the NHL roster out of camp, he could practice with the team. He could join all their activities. He could travel with them on the road. He could not do anything with the AHL. But he, it's basically like four to six extra spots you can have to call someone up right away. Um, so I think that is going to help them out. And if Frost doesn't make the team out of camp, I think he'll be on that taxi squad. Yeah, and you know now that now that I'm thinking about it, this and and what kind of adds to the pressure so much more of this season is 
this is all gearing up to next summer, next off season, where we have an expansion draft that has to be dealt with. I mean, when you think about what's going on, forget the world. Forget the world right now, the real world. When you think about just what's going on in the world of the NHL right now, that they're going to cram a 56-game season where you're you know, just playing geographic teams around you. And oh, by the way, there's <clears throat> a pandemic going on that anybody could get at any time. And oh, by the way, on top of that, you have to make decisions about players that you're not going to get that you're not going to see for a full slate of games. And you have to make decisions about whether or not you want to protect them because the team in Seattle is going to be taking some guys, you know, this this coming summer. There's a lot. Could you imagine being an NHL GM right now and having all this sh- all this shit that you that they're going through right now? How how difficult it is to have to deal with all that at one time. Yeah, it's not it's it's not an easy job that these guys have. All right, so. One thing the Flyers do have going for them, we talked about question marks at third line center and, uh, you know, the blue line. But one thing, and this kind of ties into the blue line, or not to the blue line center, to the third line center. Um, when, you, when you were talking about it, you know, it's really the logical options are either Frost or Patrick. But you threw, you threw in names like Giroux that could slot in there and Lawton that could slot in there. One thing the Flyers do absolutely have going for them, and this, a lot of this is kudos to Ron Hextall that kind of built depth within the organization as a whole. The Flyers are deep, are a deep forward team. They have a lot of guys that, and a lot of versatile guys too. It's not just that they have bodies that, you know, they use at particular positions. They have guys that could play really almost any forward position that they're needed to, which is a huge you know, it's a huge plus to have in this season when you don't know, you know, is somebody going to get sick? Obviously, there's going to be injuries. So the teams like the Flyers that are deep up front and have a lot of bodies that they can throw in anywhere they need them is, you know, it's another thing that puts the Flyers in such a good position to not only succeed in the regular season, but to make to take that extra step in, in the playoffs and, and really solidify themselves as a real contender for the Stanley cup. Yeah. In my, you know, 30 plus years of following the flyers, I think that this might be the deepest group of forwards that they've ever had. Wow. And that's a, that's a, that's a that's big, big statement. I mean, they've had, yeah. they've had bigger top end talent when they had the Legion of doom with Lindros, Radberg and Leclerc. <clears throat> but I don't know if I've ever seen a better fourth line than what this team's going to have. And so if you just want to go down the lines, let's say, let's just say you put Giroux, Couturier and Farabee on the first line, Lindblom, Hayes and Konechny on the second line. Let's say JVR and Patrick, and Voracek on the third line. I mean, let's say Patrick is back and you're talking about JVR, Patrick and Voracek third line. That's incredible. Now go to the fourth line and you could do something like Michael Roffel, Scott Lawton and Nicholas Aube Q bell. I mean, Scott Lawton was a really good player for this team last year. Now you're talking about him on the fourth line. Roffel's always underrated by Flyers fans. And you're talking about Nicholas Albeque Bell, who I still think has a ton of offensive upside that's untapped. Those are three really good players. And then you add in the fact that because of what you mentioned with Ron Hextall and his drafting, 
you've got a ton of guys who could be really good NHL third liners eventually that, that you might have on your fourth line this year. And I'm talking about guys like, again, I didn't even mention Morgan Frost on that, in that, those four lines that I mentioned. Um, he's got a world of talent. Then you talk about two guys in Tanner Lazinski and Wade Allison. They're very talented. They're older guys because they both played four years of college. Lazinski in particular, because he didn't really have any injury issues like Allison. I think Lazinski is going to come in. He was very good at Ohio State. I think he's going to come in and really wow some people in training camp. And I think Lazinski might grab an NHL spot out of camp. Wade Allison is a, another really good physical player. He's had some injuries. He had a knee injury uh, that he you know took a while for him to recover from. But he's a guy that could come in. And if he's in shape, he's another guy that could grab an NHL spot. They signed a guy from Sweden last year named Linus Sandin. Mm-hmm. He's a brother of uh, Rasmus Sandin, who's a really good defense prospect. And Linus Sandin, he's a really good player. Like, he could come in and grab an NHL spot. You've got guys like German Rupsov, Connor Bunneman, Carson Twarensky, who have all played in the NHL. They're all young, and they can all take that next stop, next step. You've just got a surplus of, of young, talented players who may be ready to really grab an NHL role. And you've got this top three lines that are extremely good and talented. I just I'm overwhelmed by the depth up front that this Flyers team is going to have. And you combine that with some really high end defensive players, young guys in Provorov, Sandheim and Myers. And obviously you've got Carter Hart, who's one of the best young goalies in the league. And I, you know, I just I think with that forward depth that this team is going to cause a lot of, of teams real problems. Yeah, I mean, JVR, obviously, and rightfully so, caught a lot of flack from fans last year, especially in the playoffs. And, you know, I think when you put things in perspective, when you just look at when you look at JVR in a vacuum and you look at just, you know, his production and you look at his contract, you know, obviously you're not going to you're the Flyers definitely aren't getting the most out of the most return on investment on JVR right now. But when you look at you know, if you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're talking about JVR as somebody the Flyers need on one of the top two lines, then yeah, he's he the flack that he's getting is deserved, and it probably is anyway. But when you're talking about a guy like JVR with his talent, and for whatever reason it ha- it you know it hasn't worked out so far in his return to the Flyers, but this is still a guy that in Toronto was putting up 30 goals a season. So it's there. the The ability is there. The talent is there. When you're talking about JVR and Voracek on your third line, guys that who you know Voracek especially was somebody that the Flyers were leaning so heavily on for the last five years, and now he's, you know, he's kind of slipped into that role player position, and he's not a guy that has to be, you know, atop the statute. He doesn't need to be, you know, a leader in assists, and he doesn't need to be a leader in goals. And if he is, that's great. But he's not somebody that the Flyers have to lean on anymore. When you look at a third line that has that kind of talent, that's insane. So for as much shit as fans give those guys, if you look at it as, you know, if they're on the first line, then yeah, you know, they deserve it and they have to be better. But if you're talking about just a third line with JVR and Voracek, that's incredible. And furthermore, the depth is at the goaltender position because again this is going to be a sprint not a marathon 56 games and you're going to be you know you're going to need your backup in there more often than not 
and especially with there's a lot of back-to-backs. We saw last year, and it was going into last offseason, a lot of people were, you know, they wanted a lot of other options at backup goalie because of where Brian Elliott was health-wise the last, you know, the prior two seasons with the Flyers. But you saw what he did last year, and you see when you don't have to put that starting goalie workload on him, how much durable he can be, and so if we're talking about depth, that depth right there is probably, if if you're asking me, it's probably a little more important than the depth up front because, you know, anything can happen in in this season. So to have two goalies that you can rely on and two goalies that, you know, you can throw either one of them out there and the team feels comfortable playing in front of, that makes everything so much easier for all the depth you have up front. Not having to worry, you know, because it, it, it gives the, it gives the ability to be a little bit more aggressive on plays because you know that you have a guy back there that if you mess up, if you, you know, if you see something and the play doesn't go your way and all of a sudden the rush is going back the other way, you have a guy back there that you can, that you believe in, that you trust in is going to make the save and save your ass. So having that and coming out of where we've been for decades with, with goaltending with this, with this team, having it be, one of the top strengths on this team is what makes this team so much more dangerous to combine with the fact, the young talent they have up front and the depth they have up front. That's what makes the flyers such a promising team and such a real team in the conversation to win it all. How nice is it that we're almost an hour into this show and we spent 10 minutes talking about great Christmas gifts, but we're almost an hour into the show and we haven't really talked about goaltending. And the reason for that is because we're both so confident right. that the guy that they have back there is the solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carter Hart has done things at ages 20 and 21 years old in the NHL that very few NHL goalies have done in the past. And the guys that have done it, we're talking about Hall of Fame, you know, caliber types of guys. He carried this team in the playoffs last year. And everyone is just kind of assuming that Carter Hart is going to just keep getting better. I'm assuming it. Um, You know, you're probably assuming it. Mm -hmm, And that's, that's so key for this team. He's, he's got such a good work ethic. He's got such a good head on his shoulders. It's, it's hard to see him barring an injury, knock on wood. It's hard to see him taking a step back. And to me, that's one of the biggest things this team has going for it is you've got – this is the final season that Carter Hart's on an entry-level salary. He's making $730,000 this season. Brian Elliott's making a million and a half. They're both up at the end of the year. You're only spending $2 million on goaltending, and you're going to have some of the best goaltending in the league is the hope. And so that's part of the reason that they really need to take advantage of this season is because you've got this gift of Carter Hart – on an entry-level contract for one more season, and you got to go for it. And they are – one of the things that they also have going for them is they're going to have some cap space. They've got about a million and a half to two million of cap space right now. And they will have some – during the season, they weren't able to make a trade in the offseason to dump salary, but during the season, Chuck Fletcher, I'm sure, will have some options, especially at the trade deadline. This year, the trade deadline is April 12th. Um, He's going to have some options, and that's going to be big. Uh, I, I think they're going to have the flexibility to go make a move if they need to, which I think a lot of people are forgetting. But, um, but yeah, the, the goaltending is it, – it's nice not having to worry about it. 
and it's it's one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason, that that everyone is is uh, can be confident about this team. Yeah, I mean, just to just to put a bow on that, when you and, and you mentioned him carrying Carter Hart carrying them in the playoffs last year, and it's like the truest statement ever because that I mean the way that even the way they played against Montreal, any other year and any other goalie, they don't make it out of that out of that series against Montreal. And he even, you know, bringing it to seven games against New York was a lot on him. So just having that, just knowing that <clears throat> that you have that is is so big, is so big for this team. And, you know, you said, I remember you saying last offseason that if ever there was going to be a step back, it would have been last year and there wasn't. So I think we're out of the woods with, you know, and anything could happen, but I, mean, I believe we're out of the woods with, you know, his adjustment to the league. I think he's well adjusted. He did the playoff run. He played well in it. So all really all the major hurdles, you know, other than playing in, you know, a Stanley Cup final, all the major hurdles have been, you know, far and away cleared by Carter Hart. And he is just, you know, it's it's easy to be cynical when you're a Flyers fan talking about a goaltender, but I think all you know, negative thoughts are just out are out the window. This kid is the real deal. He is here. He's beautiful. He's just he's just here for however long. Twenty years, great. Thirty years, he could do it. I'm with it. But one thing that we don't have to worry about for a while is goaltending, and that's just a breath of fresh air. And we have some questions that I believe we have to get to. Yeah. So let's see. Let me pull up the questions we've got. Um, we always love the questions from our loyal listeners. Um, we're glad to be back here. And okay, so let's see. The first question I see is from Michael Johnson at e uh, e kim n o s n h o j one. So Michael Johnson asks: Has Frost added needed muscle? Now I got to admit, I don't have uh, daily tabs on Frost weight, um, but I thought that even last year that it looked like he had added a lot of muscle. Um, and and it was you know when he was playing in the NHL last year, I thought he looked a lot bigger and more solid than than previously. And he hasn't played in a while, so I'm going to go out and, and guess that, assuming he has the work ethic, which I think that we think he has, um, that he's probably spent a lot of time putting on weight, and he's had a lot of time to do it. So I would suspect, without knowing for sure, I would suspect that he'll come into camp in really good shape and um, you know pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, he's always kind of been knocked for his size in the past, and I get it. I mean, it's a it's a game where you know, you're playing against gladiators and things like that. But I mean, it's like you said, he hasn't played in you know months and months. So what else has you know? Unless he's just living like the frat life and he's put on the wrong kind of weight and he's just been drinking and partying, which I can't imagine he you know he's been doing. You know what else? can I assume he's been doing all this time other than working out and, you know, training. So I would, you know, having not seen him, having not knowing, you know, not knowing him personally, I would, I would like to assume that he's going to come in with, with a little bit of size added. Sure. I'd also like to hope that he comes in with kind of a chip on his shoulder. Cause I think that, uh, I think that Chuck Fletcher has specifically been targeting him in his comments. Um, basically, almost challenging him to come into camp and earn a spot. So I think we'll see Carter or uh, Morgan Frost come in and, and, and really play well in camp. Um, 
Bill Leonard, one of our good buddies, says, hello, Dan and Mark. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, Bill. Um, he says two questions. He wants to see how we see the D pairing shaking out, and he wants to know if we think Sandine or Frost will crack the top 12. Okay, so let me go with the D pairings first, and here's how I think that they'll play out to start the season. I think that you'll have Ivan Provorov and Phil Myers will be the top pair. I think that this gets so tough, and it's I, I think that the second pair I'm going to say to start the season will be Sandheim and Gostas Bear, and I, I think the third pairing. I, I guess you're looking at something like Gustafson and Braun with Haig as the seventh. However, you know, there's just so many iterations that could happen. You could have Sandheim and Gustafson as the second pair, and then Haig and Braun as the third pair, and, and Ghost as the extra. I think there'll be some rotation early in the season, but those are the seven. And if you want me to, you know, opening light lineup, I'll say Provorov, Myers, Sandheim, Ghost, Haig, Braun, with uh, Gustafson is, is the seventh, but I don't know. Um, in terms of Frost and or Sandine, I actually, I'm going to say that neither of them will crack the opening night lineup, but I think that they'll both be on the team and or taxi squad. And I think that both will see time early in the season because I'm, I'm a big believer in the talent of both. So what, how do you, gun to your head, how do you think the, uh, the top six defensemen comes out i think that i think that gossip bear is on such a tight leash that he has to really go out and impress in whatever you know type of training camp they're able to get over these next couple weeks and i think if he doesn't go out and practice and really show that he worked on his game the last couple months in an abbreviated off season and you know that you know he's healthy and everything like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gustafson takes that spot on the second pairing from him. You know, I think that, and it's not just this coaching staff, but I think just the Flyers organization as a whole. I think we've seen so much of Gossip Bear at this point, so many ups and downs, and really the downs have been pretty low, and the highs, you know, outside of his rookie year, where you when he came on and we thought that you know we found like Bobby Orr reincarnated. Not really because Bobby Orr's not dead, but you get my point. Um, so, I, you know, unless unless he comes out and really impresses the coaching staff, I, you know, and based on what I've seen, I don't know if he's really going to do that. And I would almost welcome kind of a change in Gustafson, get him out there with, with Sanheim and see if there's something there, see if there's something that could spark there. And again, I think the first week or two weeks, you know, going into three weeks, there's good. I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility with the, with the roster, with the lineup, uh, especially the defensemen. So, what happens, you know, games one through four, it's probably not how things are going to shake out, you know, in the games after that. There's going to be a lot of moving parts, and I think that spot in particular is one to look at. But if gun to my head, I would say Gustafson takes that spot going into the season, just because. You know, I think they've seen all that they're going to see from Gosses Bear at this point. And unless he comes in and just absolutely crushes it in training camp, I think they're going to go with kind of quote unquote the unknown and a fresh face and see what happens there. I'm with you with Frost and Sandine. I don't think they start the season uh, on the active roster. But again, 
if things aren't going the way the Flyers want to in a year where they absolutely have to start hot and they can't, you know, you can't go into the season losing, you know, five of eight or something like that. So I think we've seen Vino doing in the past. If things aren't going the way he wants to, wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys are in, you know, by the end of the first month of the season. So the next question is from Mitch at MitchMack64, and I'm glad he asked this uh, because it's it's something we didn't get to during the show, and it's it's a good question. Um, he says, happy holidays, fellas. Happy holidays to you too, Mitch. Um, he says, are you expecting any big changes to the power play in the PK, either personnel or setup? And who is your dark horse to step up this year? So, you know, we, we did talk about how the power play was a problem last year. But we didn't talk about, you know, what they're going to do. And here's an area where I really want them to experiment. And they're going to have to experiment a little bit because Matt Niskanen was a big power play performer for this team. He was on their second power play unit. Um, you know, I want them to experiment with with stuff on the power play. I, I think that you do need to keep Giroux on the the left faceoff dot because that's such a good spot for him for the one-timers. Um, but I don't. I love Ivan Provorov. I still don't know if he's a top grouping NHL power play defenseman, even though he did put up some power play goals um, last year. But I'd like to see them. I still think Travis Sandheim could ultimately be the best power play defenseman on this team. I still think if Shane Gossesper is in the lineup, that I think he's really good on the power play. And I still think he has the potential to be the, the best guy on the power play. So, those are things I'd like to see. I'd like them to, 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 to experiment with the defenseman on the power play. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think that at the start of the season, I think we'll see Ivan Provorov as the, the number one power play defenseman on this team. And they'll go with a four forward setup. And, um, you know, the, the penalty kill was, was much improved last year. And losing Niskanen will hurt there. I think that you're going to, you know, Braun's going to be in Hague. You're going to be really relied on on the penalty kill and Provorov. Um, Myers, uh, but I, I don't know if I'm expecting big changes, but I would like to see some big changes on the power plate to, to see how, um, to see if they can shake things up. And I'm kind of, again, hoping that Shane Gosses bear can, can make the opening night lineup and, and get a power play chance. Cause he's has so much potential on the power play. Uh, my dark horse this year, I think the most improved guy on the team is going to be Joel Farabee. I think he's going to take a big step forward, and I think that uh, that's really going to help this team. As far as Dark Horse goes, um, kind of went back and forth with a couple names, but I landed on um, on Oscar Lindblom for all all of the obvious reasons. I mean, what he went through last year, and then being able to play on the playoffs, first of all, was insane, and would have I would have never expected it when the diagnosis came out that he would have played at all for the rest of the season, rest of last season, you know, everything you're hearing about him is he's healthy, that he's in phenomenal shape, probably best shape of his life. And when you look at, you know, just the type of player that he was beforehand, and now you add to that, the motivation that he has to show everybody that he is back, that he is healthy. I think that Oscar Lindblom is going to light the world on fire this year for the Flyers. I think he's going to be a huge contributor in the goal column and just everywhere on the ice. But I think he's going to be somebody the Flyers lean on heavily to contribute and contribute often. Um, as far as the power play goes, 
I mean, it's not it's not really a question of, you know, my expecting it. I you know, it, it it's just it's something that has to be done. What happened in the playoffs last year cannot be repeated because, you know, you never felt good every time the Flyers went on the power play. You never felt like they were going to get any type of advantage in momentum or in the goal column or anything. It just seemed like it was going to go against them because the team they were playing against, whether it be Montreal or whether it be New York, was just going to get all the momentum by shutting down the power play. So it just has to be better. And you're 100% right with Giroux. You know, you know, outside of Claude Giroux, the only other name that like immediately comes to mind in that spot uh, on the power play is Alex Ovechkin as more feared than Claude Giroux, a guy that you absolutely don't want taking a wide-open shot on the power play from that spot. So don't screw with what works. You have a weapon uh, in Claude Giroux on the power play on that left side, so just leave him there. And I'm with you on Provorov. You know, he, the guy can do so much on the ice, but, you know, not every part of everyone's game is elite. And not every part of everyone's game is as strong as the other parts. And him on the power play, I don't think is, in the long term, I don't think it's going to be as feared or as dangerous as someone like you said in Sanheim or even Myers. These are guys who are just, you know, they, they think differently offensively. Their skills offensively are a little bit better. And like you said, if Gosper can figure it out, great. Um, he's obviously an offensive weapon when he has things going, but, you know, I would like to see them mix and match a little bit more on the blue line, like you said. Leave Drew where he's at. See what Limblom can give you on the power play, but, you know, they have the weapons. They just have to figure out what what works better. Next question is from Max at MaxMiller188. Thoughts on Elaine Vino's first season as head coach and what, if anything, you'd like to see him do differently this season. So, yeah, I mean, I thought he was terrific in his first season as a Flyers coach. He was a finalist for the Jack Adams Award as coach of the year. Uh, you know, we'd heard some rumblings from Rangers fans that he wasn't good with rookies and young players, but he, I thought that he was great with the young players. He gave them a chance to play. He put guys on the you know, power play right away. Those are things that Haxtell didn't do. I mean, he put Farabee on the power play. He put Albe Cubell on the power play. He put Frost on the power play. So I, I thought that his first season was very good. I think, as you mentioned earlier, he's got some reflecting to do on the playoffs, which I'm sure he's already done in terms of the challenges and the power play. Um, AV has always historically been a guy who the first few years with the team, he gets a lot of performance out of them and then things go downhill sometimes. I think that uh, I think this is going to be a very good season for AV and the Flyers. I think just like we talked about with Mitch's question, they're going to have to figure out the power play. So I'd like to see him really dig in on that. Um, aside from that, you know, I one of my issues last year was funny was he he gave spots out of camp to Torensky and Bonneman. And at that point, I said that Albert Cubell is better than those guys. And I couldn't believe they put him on waivers. And I think they were doing it to send a message that, hey, these two guys came into training camp and performed really well. And, you know, we're going to show that that means something and give them a spot. I want him to think more long term when he's doing that. If, if some guy comes into camp who looks really good, but, you know, you kind of know that he might not have the talent of some of these other guys. I think you need to, you know, maybe not, uh, fit, you know, maybe not start them in the NHL right away. Um 
I, I want him to put the best possible team out there for the opening night roster, which I didn't feel that he did last year. But, um, but yeah, I'm expecting another really, you know, positive, good season from Vino. Yeah, I mean, AV doesn't really strike me as a guy that is, you know, one of these hard-headed, you know, Bill Belichick-type coaches where it's, you know, it's my way of thinking is the only correct way. I think that he's a guy that, you know, looked at last season as a whole, especially the playoffs, and, you know, pinpointed certain things that he needed to work on as a coach and things he needed to be better at. And he seems like a guy that is always trying to be better. He's, you know, whether it's what he's doing, what his coaching staff is doing, what the team is doing, he's never, you know, he's never satisfied, which is obviously what you want in a coach. So, you know, as far as last season goes, I mean, just them making the playoffs would have been a success based on what we had in Dave Haxtall before him. So, yeah, I mean, last year I was I was impressed by him because, you know, he gave us aspects of a head coach that we hadn't seen in, in a long time with the Flyers, you know, where he's just a guy that he doesn't care, you know, how much you're making. He doesn't care what your status is on this team. If you're not playing good, he's going to let you know about it, which, you know, the whole calling out the veterans, Voracek, Giroux, JVR, things like that, you know, calling them out in the media, you know, it, it's cool at first, but unless it you know, attributes to success with the team, eventually that's going to fall on deaf ears and they're just going to be like, yeah, whatever, you know, it, it'll go in one ear and out the other. But as long as the other team is picking up the slack for those guys, he could do it all he wants and he's just going to make them look bad. But as, if the team's playing well, that's all that matters. So going into this year, I expect him, you know, I agree with you. And we talked about it last year that the team on that opening night last year in Prague was probably not the most talented team the Flyers could have put together. And they righted those wrongs, you know, in the first, you know, two, three weeks of the season, they made the changes that everybody thought they should have, you know, started the season with. So I think that another year in here with this team, I expect the skies to be the limit with AV because I think he's just, he's just a good coach. And I think he knows what it takes no, he's never won a Stanley Cup. He's gotten close, so he knows what it takes to get there, and I think eventually he's going to get this team over the hump and, and bring it home, and that's that's what we're all hoping for anyway. Last question from Sean Moore at Sean underscore R underscore Moore. How would you like to see the D paired up, and why haven't the Flyers signed Hamannick or Votnin or traded for David Savard? So this is a little different than Bill's question. Bill asked how we see the D pair shaking out. Sean's asking how we'd like to see them paired up. So um, I, you know, I would say Provorov, Myers, Sandheim, Ghost, and um, Gustafson, and and Braun. I think is what I'd like to see. Um, definitely the first five I mentioned, and then the sixth spot would either be Braun or Haig, uh, or even Friedman. But um, that's what I'd like to see. Why haven't they signed Hamannick or Votnin or traded for David Savard? These are all defensemen. They're just there's not the money there, and you, you can't sign guys like that unless you can trade a guy like a Shane Gostisbehere. And clearly, there's no teams out there that are sort of willing to take on that kind of salary in this era where there's so little salary cap out there. So I just think that they, you know, they signed Gustafson um, for 3 million and that's the decision that they made. Uh, and 
you know, they're going to go into the season and try and figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I mean, I gave you earlier when I, when we were talking about this and I said that Gustafson, I would, you know, gone to my head, Gustafson takes that spot on the second line. I would like it to be Gustafson spare just because I want that story to end well here. You know, the guy's got, like what seems to be an endless amount of talent, but for whatever reason, you know, can't put it together, you know, consistently. So if I had, if I had my options, I would give Gossespierre one more try, you know, to see if, you know, see if he's finally got it figured out to see if he can finally put it all together consistently and be that guy that we saw a few years ago all the time. Because if he can, if he can be that player that we saw in his rookie year, if he's that guy, this team is that much better, especially on the power play. I mean, he was clutch beyond clutch could be in that season. So if Shane Gossespierre is what we saw before, then this team is that much more dangerous. I would absolutely give him one more chance, if nothing else, but to up trade value for him because I think his trade value right now is at an all-time low. I think this offseason pretty much tells you that. I don't know if it's the Flyers overvaluing him or the league just, you know, wanting to see a little bit more out of him, but he's here for a reason. You know, if the Flyers could have made a deal, they probably would have with with Bear because no team wants to go into the season with this cluster, you know, at blue line. You'd like to have things a little bit more concrete but, you know, this is what they have to deal with, and I think they have the coaching staff that will figure out what to do with it. So those are all the questions. It was great to be able to do some some listener questions again. Um, and <clears throat> great great to be back talking hockey with you. It is. And what's, what's, what's best about this, you know, all the bad things you can want to say about the pandemic and shit like that, you know, the fact that it's giving us shorter off-seasons from a fan perspective is great. You know, the fact that... What did the season end? September, October, and here we are in, you know, almost January talking about a season starting up in two weeks. So, you know, a couple months off and we're right back into it. Hopefully, I guess after this, you know, things will probably regulate as far as, you know, off-season time and things like that. But, you know, we're getting a lot of hockey and a lot of sports in a condensed uh, time window right now. And like I said, from a fan perspective, it's great. The players probably hate it because they have to recover. but you know, I'm going to sit back and watch it. I got the two TV set up. I'd recently moved last week, got the perfect two V two TV set up. So whatever hockey, basketball, whatever sports they want to throw at me, I'm going to eat it up. That's fantastic. It is. And now, now I'm going to have perfect steaks on my cast iron skillet at a thousand degrees. Yeah. You let me know how that goes tonight. And if you have any questions on it, just text me. I will for sure. Uh, so any final thoughts you want to give to the, I don't know when we're going to be able to do this again, but any final thoughts you want to give to the folks out there? Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll be able to do this consistently through the season. Um, and uh, no, it's just great to, great to get back with you talking some hockey and I'm really looking forward to the season and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of these young kids on the flyers really take a step forward. And uh, you know, if anyone wants to, to, argue with me on Twitter or debate with me or, or see some of my opinions, you can at, uh, at D silver 88 on Twitter. That's right. Uh, to everyone out there, whatever your holiday is, happy holidays to you. You know, we're, we're coming to a close on what I think everybody could agree, you know, from a, from a world perspective is probably the worst year 
you know, in modern history, it's just been terrible. So we're coming to a close. Hopefully 2021 is, you know, as bad as 2020 was, hopefully 2021 is like the complete opposite of that and everything gets back to normal. We could all go back to living normal, healthy lives. Hope everybody's healthy out there. Um, We got two weeks and then we're, we're right back into with, to the thick of a hockey season. It's an exciting time. As as shitty as things could be right now, and from a sports perspective, it's an exciting time. So everybody out there, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, let's go Flyers.